ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion. Pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. Must have sent me a picture. She's, if if she sent me a picture with hearty eyes, it's gonna be a big buck. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. She, oh, dude, she's got it. She's got big buck syndrome. It's nice. Good for her. Yeah, she's shooting that bow and <clears throat> the big muleys, man. They freak her out. She. We've seen a couple, and uh, she starts, and I'm like, oh, she has it. Well, Colorado's <laughs> got some nice bucks. I mean. There's some issues with where they're moving fourth rifle season, like deep into the heart of the rut, but um, we could see a significant decline in the next couple of years. We'll see. Yeah. they uh, Some of the ones around us, we have a couple of townies that are in the neighborhood that are phenomenal. Hoping they booger out at some point. So, man, I want to sit down and, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's toting cameras, right? And for me, playing with the camera in the field is always challenging um and there's a lot of a lot of holes i think when i'm watching stuff on youtube and there's good videos and it's like dang dude if you would have spent a little time before season maybe messing with the settings or messing with you know how you're getting angles and shots and stuff like that that it would be a phenomenal video so i want to sit down and talk a little bit of the tech a little bit of how we turn that into something that, you know, for lack of a better word, right, may go viral, but just next leveling guys and gals videos, right, and they're filming their hunts or they have somebody trailing them. The solo filming thing, that's a rough one. Um, I'm going to give it one heck of a go this year. So I've been going to the range, taking the bow every time I go to the mountains, or, yeah, taking the cameras, rather. Um so, man, I just wanted to pick your brain, talk layman camera setups. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. Um, we can talk about what you're using too, right? And, and that way folks understand the difference um, when they're seeing those, you know, 
professional quality, um, you know, high grade videos. But there is a lot of that in my head, at least, and correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of that is just the capability of the camera and then post, right? Um, when we're getting into that that editing phase of things and the settings there and getting that transferred over. So um, I'm gonna kind of let you run with it. Let's talk about what you're using, what you guys do, uh, and then what you're seeing as, for the lack of a better word again, the problem, but the problem and the potential in the problem, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, Mr. Shrag, get after it. All right, let's jump into it a little bit here. So we're actually kind of going through a bit of a change in our camera setup. I'd been using GoPros to try to film uh, some of my archery hunts and have not had very good success. Um, it's been actually a very difficult process, despite the fact that it's got the cameras that let you angle things. It's like, I mean, I tried the chest mount, but then when you're drawing back, like, you know, your arms are on, you know, straddling either mm -hmm. side of the chest mount and you've, you're basically like trying to look through the bow. So that doesn't really work. And then I've tried the things where you're like wrapping it on the bow and now you're, you know, putting more weight out there on the bow. So now it's affecting your shot, which you don't like. Um, you know, you, it's not necessarily centered. So maybe it's causing cant in your bow. I tried the, I tried the head mount and that didn't give me enough of an angle. So then I started looking for like an offset mount that would go like off to the, you know, I'm a right, I shoot a bow right-handed. So, you know, a mount that would go like off the left-hand side of my head so that I could try to get that angle of seeing the bow and seeing the animal at the same time. And I just, I, I haven't had a lot of luck in the past. Um, more recently, I've uh, started going away from, for self-filming, uh, going away from the GoPro and towards Tacticam. And there's two things that I really like about that system. The first one is that um, it's a hunting company. You know, GoPro, their their focus is not the hunting industry, right. and and frankly, they'd probably rather not see our cameras on on you know guns and bows, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Tacticam is a company that is very much ingrained with the hunting and fishing community. So just from you know just from a support your brothers and sisters category, um, it makes winning. a lot more sense to to go with somebody like Tacticam. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, there's more water resistance. Um, it's not necessarily waterproof, but they're used to having their cameras out in the field in the rain. So you don't have to necessarily like hook up a waterproof container around it. Now you're not gonna be able to submerge, uh, submerge it unless you're going with their fisheye product, which I think will go down to about 50 feet. Um, but as far as the hunting scenario, you really don't have to worry that much about getting them rained on. Whereas, you know, a GoPro, I don't want to have my GoPro out in the rain. I'm, I'd be pretty concerned about it getting fried. What, uh, okay. So two things. So on the GoPro thing, so my 2018 hunt that I self film, what I used was, uh, the strap, I think it's called a stuntman, and you put it on your backpack strap. So what I did is I would angle it. I figured out what angle in shooting right i had to be at so i got that camera there and it was off the strap the downside for that was um in the heat of the moment i'm having to reach up and i'm looking you know out the corner of my eye and trying to push that record button but the angle was great um, yeah you know you can you can get it with that strap um so let me jump in with that one a little bit so tacticam recommended something that's very similar it's basically a strap that mounts to the uh to your shoulder pack of your pack uh, mm -hmm. of your i'm sorry the sh shoulder pad of your pack and basically it gives you that same angle and it's a really cool angle but the nice thing that that i like about the uh the tact cams they've got a wide and they've got a regular so they've got their 5.0 wide and they've got their 5.0 regular but because they're a hunting company they've also got a stabilizer mount so you can put a, a camera directly into the stabilizer 
Um, and you can also have another one that's a wide up on your shoulder. So you can get a wide view that takes 4K video of, of the wide angle scene. And then you can, you've got another one that's in the bow that's out in front of everything pointed exactly in the direction that you're shooting that can take up to 8X zoom um, and also give you 4K and get that close-up video. So you can see that if you, so long as you hold the, the bow at the target, mm -hmm. you get that arrow impact. Um, but then you've got the wide one on your shoulder. And by shooting in 4K, the nice thing about that is when you get into that post-production like we're talking about, let's say, for example, you don't get the angle quite right. If you shoot in, in 4K and you've got a wide angle, you can crop in uh, up to 2X and still get a 1080 video. So you have the ability to take a wider shot than you would otherwise use. And if you want to get that YouTube hunting video going, you can do that with those cameras, crop it down to 1080. But then also for social media, if you want to do like an Instagram reel or a TikTok, you can cut it in as a vertical. And of course, don't use a hunting video as a TikTok. <laughs> That's a whole other story. But um, Instagram's usually been pretty good about it. But you can crop both a vertical format and a horizontal format out of the same video because it's 4K, it's high enough quality. You can get a good quality, good, you can get a good one out of both. So talk about that a little bit. We're, we're going to we're gonna rabbit hole, then we'll come back to it. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of us may go down the wrong path. So the difference in 4K and then bringing it down to that 1080 with that cropping. Um, get into that a little bit, and then we'll figure out how deep in that rabbit hole and what other rabbit holes we find uh, going down that road, and we'll come back. Yeah, definitely. So TV back in the day, back in your and I day, um, you know, when they wait, first... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Joe Gillia's day? <laughs> yeah, back in Joe's day. Uh, back in Joe's day, um, broadcast television was going out at about 480. Okay. Uh, 480p. And then um, with the digital age, it got bumped up to 720. So, I mean, when we think of terms of, you know, high quality digital content, what we were looking at on the TV was really 720, uh, 720p. So what's the P? The the P is just uh, the number of pixels. Okay. So you got your 720, and then now we started bumping up into um, uh, ultra high def or uh, 1080p. So 1080 quality is what we're used to seeing on on most uh, digital channels. Okay. So YouTube is primarily 1080, but there are 4K TVs out there, and there are 4K uh, services that are uh, pushing out 4K video now that everything's being digitally rendered. However, most people currently are doing 1080. And and so if I'm shooting in 4K and and whatever I'm editing on has it's maxing at 1080p, right? That's the capability of it. That's as good as I'm going to see on my screen as I'm in post. Right. Right. Um, so is there a difference in just going, you know what, I'm going to record in 1080 and that's what I'm, what I can see. Most people are at 1080p with their screens or whatever. How does that, how does that translate into everything? So if you take a video at 1080, you don't have any ability to crop in without starting to get pixelation. Okay. But if you go 4K, you've got twice as much data, which means you can go 50% in and still get full HD quality. So okay. you still get full 1080p. So go 4K if you're if your camera and things have the capability. If your if your camera can do it, and if you can edit it in post. Okay. If you don't have a very good computer, you're going to have a hard time editing video in post. Okay. Um, they require a higher graphics card. You need in most cases Adobe uh, Premiere Pro requires uh, a six gig. Uh, or higher graphics card, which a lot of people don't have. Mm -hmm. So you may have to look at, if you wanna get serious about video, you've got you've got to get serious about your post-production as well. Okay. If you wanna keep it a little more simple, you can still shoot 480, and you can get some apps that'll do it a little more simply like on your phone. Okay, so you're talking like 
splice and things like that on your phone. Exactly. Yeah, I've got splice on my phone and that's real great for allowing me to, you know, put in like a watermark or something for a for an Instagram reel or allows me to cut a horizontal video vertically. Mm -hmm. um, it's great for those sorts of things. Okay. So there's there's that little bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, so we'll go back to the gear. So back to the gear. So um, we're, you know, we've got we've got a couple different cameras. Um, the other cool thing is that uh, you have the ability, you know, like a GoPro, it actually uses the same functionality, the same mount as a GoPro. So you can you can use all that same technology to, if you've already got some GoPros, you can use those same mounts that you already have with the Tacticam that are, you know, a little more rugged, a little more designed for the outdoors, uh, designed for hunting and fishing. Um, you also have the ability to, um, set up lots of different uh lots of different angles um, you can have the one like i said that's out the stabilizer you can have the one that's uh, going off your shoulder you can also mount a wide uh, pointed back towards yourself so you can actually see yourself draw the bow and release the arrow nice. so you can so in post-production you can watch yourself draw the bow release the arrow and then cut to the arrow going out uh, to, to the animal so a lot of times right so as you're talking about that i'm thinking speed right because if i have something wide coming out and i can capture that arrow leaving you know that cool slow-mo effect now is that a setting in the camera or is that something you do in post it is that's a setting in the camera so the the tact cam for example will go up to 120 frames per second that'll give you a real nice slow-mo um, typically what you see on television is 24 frames a second. Typically what you see on social media, YouTube, et cetera, is 30 frames a second. So when that bull dodges my arrow and I go high over the back, is that like the matrix effects? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yeah. Time? I mean, I mean, you know, your arrow is moving at, at, you know, 300 feet a second. So, you know, if, when you take a look at it right now, I mean, 30 frames a second, it's covered most of that ground in just a couple of frames. Mm -hmm. But now if you do 120 frames a second, you're actually starting to see, like when you slow it down, you can slow it down four times, uh, four times as much and still get those 30 frames per second. And so you get a nice smooth trajectory of the arrow by doing that. And, and how does that, how do those type of effects work with that 4K deal? Is that the same deal when, you, when you're looking, if you wanted to do that in post, Right, so 4K, and I want to slow that down versus 1080, and wanting to slow it down in post. Um, yeah, so the the 120 frames a second is something that's completely different from the 4K. 4K is the resolution, and the the 120 or the 30, that's the number of frames per second that the that the video camera is taking. And and keep in mind that a video camera, all it is doing is taking a whole bunch of still images, like a flip book. Right. Remember, remember mm -hmm. like drawing and you change it yeah, just Joe slightly, and just jump slightly. back in the day with that TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you flip through and it's like those, those old timey cartoons where as you're flipping through every frame is a new, a, a new flip of, you know, a new page mm -hmm. that you're viewing in there. So by doing 120 frames per second, you're getting 120 pages instead of just 30 pages in the same amount of time. So if you slow it down, meaning if you're scrolling through the pages at the same time, it'll look like it's going slower. Okay. So what, if we're if we're standard right if we're just recording and we get into post and we want to slow it down what is the downside of not changing that setting on that camera are we not going to have as clean uh a slow-mo by doing it post correct it'll look um it'll look like you're just kind of flipping slowly through the through the different uh photos so basically, you know, instead of it looking like a nice smooth arc of the arrow, you'll see the arrow in one spot and it'll jump to the next and jump to the next and jump to the next. Right. So, and that kind of brings the reason I asked that question and, and what I've been doing with my new setup is, you know, again, going to the range, I'll take it out and play with the settings and, and just trying to master that stuff. 
and understand it before I get into the field. Because um, a lot of it is rough, especially when you're self-filming. Um, you want to have your settings dialed, right? Um, Absolutely. Because trying to flip through it, everything happens in a blink of an eye. And, and my dilemma has always been hunt or film, hunt or film. And uh, I've run into exactly the same dilemma in the you past. Really, yeah, you really have to be dedicated to both equally, um, but it's, it's hard to do that. But I think there's some creative juices that need to be flowing prior to season or prior to filming that hunt in that practice and understanding of all this stuff. Um, one other thing on equipment uh, before we get further down the down the, another rabbit <laughs> hole here. So um, the other thing that I really like about Tacticam is they've got a uh, they've got a remote and it can actually control up to five cameras simultaneously. Oh wow! So rather than having to push the on button mm -hmm. and push the on button and push the on button to try to get all the cameras started, you've got one button that can hang off of a lanyard on your neck, and it will literally turn on the cameras and start recording all at the same time, all of them at the same time. Oh, wow. So that so you can save battery and you can get them all synced up so they're all recording at exactly the same time. Wow. And then that lends itself, well, you better have your settings that you want on each one of those cameras Correct. dialed before that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like anything else. I mean, you, you prep for hunting, prep for filming. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I picked up some of those tactic cams, as you know, yesterday. So I'm excited. I got that spotter. That was the one I was really interested in. Uh, was the one, what is it, the Spotter 5.0? Spotter LR. Is it? Which one I get? I got the 5.0. You right? got the 5.0. Okay. So, yep. okay, talk so about the difference in those two. Okay. So the Spotter LR is designed to fit onto the back of a spotting scope. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you you've, you know, uh, phone cam and uh, uh, what's the other one I'm trying to think of? Uh, phone scope. Phone scope. Um, there's a number of different varieties out there. Um, basically, they attach your cell phone onto, uh, you know, cell phone onto the end of a spotting scope, uh, which is a fantastic idea. But I think the Spotter LR is maybe a, a one step above that a little bit. Um, it actually takes a 4K camera and sets it over the top, so um, it's got an articulating screen that you can rotate and turn around. Mm -hmm. um, it has the the functionality of zooming in just like your uh, just like your phone can zoom. Uh, so you have the ability to view what's going on through the spotting scope. So let's say, for example, you're viewing a distant animal. You can view that um, on the spotter LR itself. You can zoom into it digitally, but you also have Bluetooth that you can send it to your phone through the app. So now you can have a spotting scope that's up there, you know, looking at a particular animal. And rather than you having to be standing there looking at it, you can be sitting down looking at your, looking at your phone and seeing what's going on. What that does for you is that because you're not tapping or, or moving or potentially articulating the phone, you're getting a super clear video, which is, you know, right. for a content perspective, fantastic. But B, if you really want to analyze, you know, the number of points on an animal a long ways away, or if you've got mirage that you're dealing with and you need to be able to, to look really, uh, really sharply at that without any kind of shake on there, you know, you're, you're sticking your phone on the end there. Um, that's going to introduce a lot of weight on one end. This is a lot lighter and it clamps down on the end of it. So it's, it's a more firm fit and the ability to transfer that over to your phone and view it on your phone gets you away from staring at your spotting scope. And let's use both eyes. I, the issue that I've had, and I love my phone scope. I, I, you know, I've used them for years now, but the issue I have is that, you know, you're running, whether it's Onyx or go hunt maps or base maps, whatever, you know, it's battery drain um anyway and if we're you're you know you know how i hunt right so if i'm on the mountain 23 days man battery is precious um so it really 
it, it really is a challenge to do anything on that phone outside of, you know, the intended use at that time. And that's mapping that hunt and um, doing all that. How is the battery life on the Tacticam stuff? Uh, the five O's I've been getting about two and a half hours of solid record time. And that'll, that'll fill up about 64 gig over that, over that time frame. Uh, so the five O will take a 128 gig card. So you basically have about five hours if you use two batteries and they actually do make a case that'll charge two batteries at the same time. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. Okay. So we, we talked about our portable options. A lot of guys and gals, uh, me included, I started with the Sony uh, mirrorless, the 63. Now I have that a seven three, the full frame. Yep. Let's get into that stuff a little bit. Cause I think I see more of those strapped to, uh, strapped to packs and whatnot than just about anything nowadays. Yeah. There's definitely some variety in, in what people are taking out into the field. I know some television shows that are still filming with the Sony AX 53 is a, um, kind of an older model. I actually have one for, uh, for doing hunt filming. Um, one of the cool things about that is it's got great image stabilization and for a small sensor and a lightweight camera, it actually is, is incredibly portable and takes good quality video. Still has 20x uh, optical zoom. Um, it's a smaller sensor, so it's not going to have that, you know, really good looking bokeh with the, the great depth of field that mm -hmm. you get with, you know, like like you said, your, your full frame camera with the, the really high quality, you know, $2,000 70 to 200 lens or the, the 100 to 500 or, you know, whatever you happen to be whatever you happen to be rocking, whether you're doing Sony or Canon or, or whatever the case may be. Um, there's a huge difference in, in the quality that you're getting with the sensor size. Um, you know, the sensor on a cell phone camera, for example, is about the size of the, your little pinky nail. Whereas the sensor in, in like the camera that you just bought, it's gonna be over an inch wide. So it's gonna be about 20 times bigger. And what that all means is it's capturing more light and more detail. And it's giving you a much higher quality image than you would get otherwise. <laughs> too much no not too much it, there's just so much we can cover right and and trying to do it in in a quick sit down episode here on the mountain um is is something else right so i want to hit the points that will make a difference as folks are venturing out because we can go down setting rabbit holes to her blue in the face and still not <laughs> deliver anything um so i really want to I really want to hit that stuff. So let's do it this way. Let's let's talk about if you're using that camera, what your settings look like, your preferred lenses. Um, say we're out on an elk hunt. Um, you know what lenses you're taking, what your settings look like. I know some of that's dependent on light where you're at on the mountain, time of day, things like that. So just go down that rabbit hole. Um, you know what would what would Good Bull Outdoors do? So if I'm filming somebody else's hunt. Um, and they wanted that level of quality. I actually have a professional level uh, video camera that it is, it doesn't have the image stabilization, but it has a huge sensor on it, which means it's fantastic for low light situations. Um, it's got all the different connectors for doing, you know, a shotgun mic and, lap, you know, multiple lav mics at the same time. It, it segments the audio, as you know, in a podcasting, segmenting audio mm -hmm. is a big thing Huge. so that you can cut, you know, back and forth from different types of audio. So, you know, if you've got some crackling going on in the lav mic, I can cut back over to the shotgun mic. So the one that I use to film professional, um, you know, made for, you know, uh, outdoor television shows that camera is very much different than necessarily what I would, you know, take if I was just filming my own hunt, mm -hmm. filming my own hunt. Like if I was going to, you know, film my wife, Allie on a hunt, I'd probably just bring the AX 53, um, a, because it's super lightweight, B the cameras or the batteries last forever. Um, I can get like 
five hours out of the battery on that thing of straight record time. Mm -hmm. So if I bring two, two batteries, I'm good for an entire day during the fall um, with just the two batteries. So that's, that's a really nice option. Keeping it lightweight, it's easy to change out the cards. It's, it does most things automatically, so you don't really have to worry about it. And you can actually, it's got such good image stabilization when you're walking. Um, you can actually walk and get relatively steady video. The, you can actually see the lens move inside of the camera. Oh, wow. It's, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, they do make upgraded versions of that that have higher quality, but um, the big thing is if you're going to be hunting, getting 20x optical zoom is huge. Um, don't look at digital zoom, just look strictly at optical zoom. Um, that setup cost me about $1,000. Um, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. The professional one, I've got probably close to 5000 into that one. With you know all the audio equipment and the you know the the professional level you know video camera itself. And you keep saying audio, and I'm trying so hard not to start <laughs> down that road with the but audio. But audio is huge. Yeah. I mean, if you if you've got a, I mean, nobody wants to watch a silent hunt. Nobody wants wants to watch a hunt where it's nothing but music overlaid over the top of it. Um, what makes you feel like you're there is listening to the audio while you're watching the video. So. You know, that's a, probably a huge mistake that most people make right off the bat is that they don't even think about the audio. That okay, so you you're gonna do it, dang it. Um, so for me, what I what I started running, so I run the shotgun, but then I uh, I run the road lav mics too, the wireless. And and the downsides running those roads is that your range uh, behind whoever's wearing that lav is a bit limited. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say 15 yards, uh, anything past that is where I start to lose signal because they are, you know, they are wireless. Yep. Um, but what I liked about it was I can get, I can get everything that's going on. I can get the ambient noise. So you're capturing what it is to be on that hunt, right? But then I also have really nice communication or vocals from the hunter. Yep. Um, and that that's night and day, right? Because what typically what we hear or seen for years was I'm whispering and the wind is blowing at 20 miles an hour. And then all you can hear is wind. And it's just like, I, I can't even watch it anymore. Um, but I can now, because it, I got the shotgun and I have the lav mic, I'm able to control those levels, get them where I need them to be. Um, and it's just, it's so sweet, man. You know, when I need the, when I need vocals up higher, I'll, you know, bring those up higher and drop that, you know, my, my shotgun's my ambient. Um, so it's uh, it's really cool to, to have those tools out there and something like the roads are pretty affordable because some lav mics, man, you're, you're running, I've seen 700 to $1,200. You get the Sennheiser, yeah. I mean, that's super high quality. I've used those on hunts before. Um, you can get a solid 100 yards of wireless connectivity mm -hmm. and it sounds like you're talking you know right into the you know right into the mic of the camera itself it's that's fantastic um, that's a, that's typically strange. i run the, typically i run a, a cheaper ceremonic mm -hmm. and i can get about 30 to 40 yards before i start having issues mm -hmm. that's uh okay so so we're talking self-filming blue collar folks right so when you start looking at that and i guess i guess if if folks are trying to do it next level they're going to have to invest some money but the blue collar guy that just wants to film the hunts he has a, you know i hate saying it like this right but you know you got a little youtube channel and you're just trying to put out content um what is outside of the roads right i think you can get the roads now i think they're right around 300 bucks um 
what's what's something else that they can get that that's in that price point you know for that blue collar guy or gal yeah that ceremonic works pretty well um that i was talking about you can pick those up for less than the road mic i think you can pick them up for about 100 150 oh, bucks dang. and now so is that wired so you have your you have your lav mic and is that wired to it's wired to a transmitter, to a transmitter. and then it goes wireless over to the over so to the, the receiver. receiver on the camera okay because that's one thing about the the roads that was so that was so attractive to me was that they're an inch and a half by an inch and a half, right? There's no wire. Everything is done right on the deal. Um, that was one of the reasons. Sorry, folks, if you're here in the background. We're, we are here at uh, Mountain Archery Fest at Purgatory recording this. So we're outside and folks are getting ready to gear up. We're next to the Elk Bros tent. So we got some noise going on. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy those. And those have been great for, you know, me sitting at like Hunt Expo, right? When I'm in the initial ascent booth and record at Hunt Expo, I just mic everybody up with those. Yeah. Um, and it's been, you know, they've been solid for that type of stuff. Um, so yeah, let's, unless you have anything more to say about audio. Well, okay, no, let's do this. We, we talked about settings for the camera, right? The 4K versus 1080p, et cetera. Uh, where are you at with your with your mic levels, what should folks be looking at? You know, if you're using external um, versus using that those uh, on your on your camera and what you're looking at prior to getting in the field. Um, typically, what I do is I, I hook up. I mean, if I'm recording a hunt for somebody else, I'll have a, a set of uh, earmuffs that I'm wearing. So I'm actually listening to the audio coming in directly off of the devices. And the nice thing about that is it allows me on, on my camera to be able to switch between, you know, mic, mic one and mic two. Uh, so I can listen to what's going on on the shotgun mic, and then I can switch over to what's going on on the on the lav mic, and then I can listen to the entire scene with both mics going on, and I can adjust the levels directly on my camera between the two of them. That's that's the nice thing about having a professional level camera. Mm -hmm. On the others, you don't necessarily get that option. Just go with whatever the standard is. Most of them nowadays kind of um, they kind of shoot for the middle, and in post you can edit them. You know, bring up you know bring up audio on a channel or bring you know something down a little bit. So for me, right, I'm, I'm shooting for that negative six dB range, right? If I'm bouncing in and around negative six, so between zero dB and negative six, um, I'm getting audio quality that is going to work in post-production. You start clipping past, call it, you know, plus two, you're going to start redlining. If you're not already redlining with some of the louder noises when your bow goes off or, you know, you get some loud noise. And then what happens is in post, it's still going to be almost unmanageable um, to the point where those clips are, you know, that red line stuff is not going to edit very well. Yeah, and for a lav mic, that really goes to where you place the mic, um, particularly in the field. I mean, you're talking about a lot of movement. Mm -hmm. So you don't want the mic so close that, you know, all you hear is, <sighs> <laughs> but you're going to, you're going to get that a lot. Right. Um, you also don't want to place it somewhere where it's necessarily exposed to the wind, maybe like tucked inside the first lapel, you know, uh, the first lapel of the, uh, of the outer jacket. Um, but you don't want to put it somewhere where it's going to rub either. So you need to actively be listening to the audio. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to prep. Like what you said, if you're, you know, if you're just getting into this and you're just doing it yourself for the first time, you know, practice first before you get out in the field. Don't just assume everything's going to be great just because you hooked it all up. Right. Um, actually, you know, go out, shoot a 3D archery tournament like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like math and, and put all your cameras up and and record all your video and see how it does. And that experience over time will will give you the confidence that when you go do an actual hunt, it's you're going to go. you're you're ready to go. Yeah. You're going to get good quality audio and good quality video. The, the worst 
that, and that's part of the reason I want to sit down. The worst thing for me is going into it, not going through all that, getting, if it's a week hunt, right? Getting hours and hours upon hours of, of unusable audio and video, right? I mean, it, it's, it's defeating. Um, folks spend, I mean, even if you, if you got a, a $500 Sony G, you know, old G, what are those, GH or GS camcorders, right? There's nothing worse than that stuff being wasted after all that time, energy, and money spent. Um, that prep is huge in this, man. Yeah. Um, Let me actually jump back to something okay. that, that uh, we had talked about, or you asked, asked about and we didn't quite get to. Okay. So that's, you know, we started off at the lower end camcorder that still gives good quality video, mm -hmm. good enough to go up on the outdoor channel. Um, then we talked about the professional level that, that I've shot with. Um, I've shot uh, for the Discovery Channel on, on that level camera. And then now you jump up into the DSLRs, that, like what you're talking about. Um, you know, your uh, A6300, for example, is a great crop sensor camera. Um, it, you can have uh, interchangeable lenses on those, so you can go with a wide lens. Um, you can go with something that's a little more telephoto. Um, personally, I like if I'm going to be carrying a camera, I want to carry a camera, right. which is going to be a, a full full frame camera. And so what lenses do I use in those types of situations? If I'm going to be doing a combination of photography and and hunting and I'm going to be filming somebody else, like I'm not I'm not focusing on myself now at this point. I'm not trying to self film. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm trying to film somebody else's hunt and I'm being paid to do it, what do I want to take with me in a DSLR setup? I'm going to bring a really wide angle lens that's going to be a, a, a variable. So I'm going to take something like a 15 to 35, for example. So that 15 will give me a really wide angle and let me capture things like two people talking, you know, up close so you get that good detail. It'll allow me to capture things like uh, landscape scenes. Um, it'll allow me to do product photography on the mountain while we're up there. If you've got, you know, let's say for example, somebody sponsored by a, an optics company, Loophole or Vortex, and they need to get images of those products while they're out there on the mountain. That happens a lot if you're gonna be doing outdoor filming. Um, you're going to be doing a combination of photo and video. So mm -hmm. in the downtime, like let's say for example, they're they're glassing a mountainside, looking at it, looking at some elk, and you've got a drizzle of rain coming down. You know, you've got those rain droplets on your rifle scope. You want to be able to get up close, get a wide enough scene. Um, maybe you're in the thick timber and you can't back up with your bigger lens. So having that wide angle lets you get up close. Um, getting somebody's you know face looking through the binoculars well enough that you can see the binoculars and you know just kind of take in the entire scene you can get both wide and narrow shots those are really important from from a product photography standpoint which are important for those to continue to get their sponsors right um, that's that's some pearls of wisdom pearls of wisdom take so, notes <laughs> <laughs> so so that's the wide angle situation but then you also want to be able to capture the animals on the hunt right so now you're talking about a, a longer lens so that can be anything from like a, a 100 to 400 um that's a pretty good quality lens on the on the sony canon makes a 100 to 500 um that's not bad um you see some people filming with really really expensive lenses like a fixed power uh 300 millimeter f 2.8 that's going to be uh that's going to be about a six thousand dollar lens um but you know if you want to keep it relatively inexpensive you can go with like uh for my sony setup i've got an uh, a7r4 and a 200 to 600 millimeter lens uh, with the sony one of the nice things about that is that it's got a crop sensor mode which means that while it's a full sensor camera, you can actually crop in on the sensor and increase the amount of uh, zoom range that you have on it. And it's a 50% zoom range. So you can take a 200, 600 millimeter lens and actually get an effective 300 to 900 millimeter out of it. 
that's beyond 20x optical. So what I got in, in terms of a long lens, I just went with the 70 to 200. That's a fantastic lens for most uses. Because I was like, okay, self-filming, I'm really not going to get that far off my camera. Um, I didn't want to have a two to six because of the size, right? I mean, you're talking, you know, most of my hunts are 15 plus days. That's a lot of weight to carry around for that amount of time. And then there's a lot of worry. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That you're, you have, you have to baby it to a point, right? I mean, it, it's a heck of an investment. Um, so that, that 7200 is, or yeah, 72200 is that a, a good investment in a lens for self filming? And oh, it's a fantastic lens. The big thing is focus on that f stop, the f 2.8. Mm -hmm. That allows you to shoot in really low light. So if you get something higher, like an f 4 or an f, you know, 5.6, every time you that number goes up, that means that you have to have more light in order to make it work at the same shutter speed. And, and basically, if you don't have uh, the proper shutter speed, you're going to get blur. Mm -hmm. So it's horrible for, uh, it's horrible for photography, but it's not great for video either. So I got the 2.8. Um, and then there, there's the option in the G lens to have the image stabilization or not have the image stabilization. Right. And I think for our use in the field, you got to spend a few extra dollars on the stabilization. Absolutely. Right. Um, the only way that the only time you don't want to use the image stabilization is if you're putting it up on a tripod. And you're not gonna be putting it up on a tripod every time you're out in the field, especially if you're using it somewhat for self-filming. So I agree with that, but then there's a point where you're on the tripod and we're in the mountains, so we're getting those winds and things like that. And I think it lends itself um, on that tripod, especially when you step away from it and you're trying to capture that, you know, those final moments if you're, uh, if you're lucky enough there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let me clarify that a little bit. What I, what I mean by that is you don't want to keep it on a tripod as you're moving along. Right. So, you know, <laughs> you're, you're going to be putting it on a tripod, taking it off a tripod, putting it on a tripod, taking it off. But there's also going to be times where you're going to see an animal pop out. And because it's not on the tripod, you're going to get it out and you're going to try to handhold it and try to get decent steady video handholding or setting it down on a rock. Mm -hmm. So having that optical image stabilization can actually stabilize that video enough where you can do that. Additionally, if you're filming other people, like if you're in a group and you're filming other people, you may want to be hand-holding it with that image stabilization because then you can move it around to different people who are talking. Um, however, one of the things that I've really found out that's another one of these pro tips, the more you can keep the camera in one place, go wider, keep the camera from ever moving. Like let's say for example, you've got an animal that's across the hillside. People want to zoom in on it like a, like a spotting scope and they want to zoom in as close as they can and they want to track it as it's going. With a video camera, you don't want to do that. Set it up so that it's a little bit wider, so the animal's a little bit smaller in there, and let it go from the left-hand side of the frame all the way over to the right-hand side of the frame without ever moving the camera. Don't follow it as it goes. Um, your video quality will be much better in post-production. And then you can take it, you can take that frame in that 4K, right, to reiterate the importance of, of that setting and crop right then you get the shot that you were thinking of right that zoomed in shot in 1080p still have the quality and then you don't have that that blur or anything else you're dealing with there right you can but honestly it's kind of a mental thing like you know we think about we think about it in terms of what we're physically seeing and with our eyes we're tracking that individual animal so we think when we're using a lens we should be doing the same thing we should be tracking the animal but 
television doesn't work the same way. When you're looking at a YouTube video, it doesn't work the same way. You're, look, you're looking to create a scene much as if you were just simply capturing, you know, this rectangle of what's out there and then things are moving through there. So if you look at a TV show, um, if you're looking at, you know, an elk moving along on the mountain, ideally that camera is never moving, the animal's moving. So your eye naturally tracks the animal on the screen. Mm -hmm. It's acting just the same way it would as if you were physically there. So if you're moving the camera, your eyes are fighting what's going on in the camera. So that's interesting. Yeah, it actually creates kind of this disconnection between what you're doing with video and what you're doing with your eyes when you're when you're actually viewing the end product. It, it, it's funny too, right? Because as we capture those scenes, that that it's part of the creative aspect, but it's also part of the production aspect. And we want to. The idea is to take the viewer on the hunt, right? So what you're talking about, that that does it for me, right? If they are getting to experience the hunt as we are experiencing it because we're not zooming in, focused on that animal. They get to see that animal moving through, um, moving through habitat. Exactly. You know? And I think that, oh God, the creative, the creative part is another, okay, we're, we're here. <laughs> um, creative versus production, right? That, they're, they're, I can't say one and the same, but they're one and the same, but they are on, on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Because one is, is in the capture and then one is in post, sort of, right? We have to have an idea of how we want to share our hunt and everybody has this, their own kind of creative juices and flow. Um, so talk about that a little bit and how you're able to meld the two together as you're filming. Yeah, so I mean, there's... The creative aspect of it really goes to what did you expect to accomplish when you went into the, the hunt? Um, just like, you know, just like you would prep for a hunt. If I'm prepping to film somebody else's hunt, I'm doing the same kind of prep work. What kind of environment am I going into? Um, you know, what types of scenes am I most likely to encounter? Am I going to be in, is it going to be foggy and rainy the entire time? Well, I'm probably going to, you know, focus more on the wide angle lenses and, you know, I'll be telling that scene. Am I expecting snow? Um, I need to plan for that. I need to, you know, plan to keep my equipment dry. I need to keep things that are going to keep my lenses clear. Um, you know, bring a ton of microfiber cloths and, uh, you know, separate them out into into bags so that, you know, when one gets wet, I put it away and get a fresh dry one out. Um, lots of different things that, that people just aren't thinking of. But then in the post process, um, it gets down to things like color grading, which, you know, you, you probably don't hear very much. But when you're shooting professional photography, you're typically shooting in something called log or S-log. Um, which is basically a non-colored uh, version. It, it's like shooting raw with a uh, with a regular camera. Mm -hmm. You're shooting basically. You're not telling the camera to put any additional settings on top of what's being filmed. You're allowing somebody in post production to add color and and depth of field and uh, and other, I'm sorry, not depth of field to add color and shadows and um, uh, you can. Anything that you can do on a photo and, and post-production, you can do the same thing with video. So you can bring up shadows, you can bring down blacks, you can bring in color. Um, they have what they call LUTs, which are like color grading. So if you want it to be more of a blue tone, you can do that. If you want it to be more of a warm tone, you can do that. So by creating this, uh, this by recording in this neutral log tone, you get a horrible output from your camera. It looks terrible. It looks like you're almost shooting black and white. Mm -hmm. But in post-production, they've got so much more data to work with to color grade it. So if you've got multiple cameramen on a shoot 
and they're all shooting in this raw log format, you can they can color grade it so it all looks the same. Right. But if you if you're not shooting that way, and one person shooting in like you know this His presets, <laughs> yeah, using the presets, and they they've got like, well, you know, I want a really high saturation. Mm -hmm. Well, the camera is going to put that onto the onto the image that's captured, the video that's captured, and everything's going to come out in high saturation. But if you've got somebody else who's shooting in low saturation then they're not gonna be able to marry them up. And so it's gonna look like this really disjointed video. They're not gonna be able to use it that way. So working solo is a lot different because it's your own camera. You shoot with however you want. Um, but if you're shooting in a group and you're gonna have multiple cameramen, you need to be cognizant of that. You need to be shooting in, in a log format. Okay, so I'm gonna rewind this way back, right? So now, so say I got the Tacticam out and then I got my Sony a6700, okay? Um, how how do I do that? How do I marry those up? Because when you look at something like even if it's GoPro, folks are you know out using GoPro, you they they don't have those setting adjustments as as our DLSRs, our mirrorless cameras. They do to a degree. Um, you you can actually bump settings on some of those types of like GoPro. They've got like normal settings and uh, you know higher definition settings that like increase the saturation and you know add definition and clarity to the image. Um, but for the most part, if you want them to be synced as much as possible, go with the standard whatever the normal setting is of the camera. Just go whatever the default is. Typically, the default on most of those external type cameras that you know self filmers are going to be using, they're going to be matched up pretty well. That's that's interesting, right? So if you if you go down the realm of YouTube and you start looking at at you know what folks are using in their settings, and that's a big thing, right? Is is you know get on YouTube and I forget the gentleman's name. I was watching a video when as I was going through trying to learn this new camera, and he was doing a lot of the B real stuff for Star Wars. Um, and he's going through the settings that he uses and his presets. There's a flaw in that from what you're saying, right? Because I can't go in and adjust it. So I'm using this guy's settings and he's, you know, in the desert somewhere on this planet and they're doing this Star Wars stuff. And then here I come into the canopies um, and I have his settings. I'm, I'm foobar in my film. Yep. That's, uh, it's interesting interesting yeah and oftentimes with those you know point and shoot type cameras uh not necessarily something like the ax63 which has you know you know better manual mm -hmm. controls but you know something like a tacticam or a gopro um either one of those the, the normal settings are going to be pretty good regardless of the scene that you're in it, they're going to be as good as you can get for just you know regardless of the scene like just a natural setting you don't want to go in and mess with the settings in the camera just Turn the thing on and go. They're they're going to be the best for that. Okay. Did we miss anything? I mean, I, think I we know did. we I know we did. Yeah, I'm sure we did, right? I mean, this is this is a conversation that could be had over a dozen episodes, and I don't know that we would touch everything. So you brought up B-roll. B-roll is actually really important. Um, so with B-roll, that really goes to more, where more of the creative comes mm -hmm. in. So there's the cameraman's ability to simply capture the scene. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was on a, I was filming a hunt and uh, this herd of elk had just crossed over from private land onto, I'm sorry, from one piece of private land that we couldn't hunt onto private land that we could hunt. So they, they jumped over this fence and there's a herd of like maybe 40 or 50 of them. And they all come running over. And uh, these hunters, uh, they were on, uh, they were coming up from Texas. So they were like more like uh, sea level type elevation. Mm -hmm. They hadn't sighted their, recited their guns in for the elevation that they were hunting at in Colorado. So these two bulls come out in this group and um, the whole herd stopped. Both these guys have tags. 
and you can actually watch the the vapor trail of the bullet go right over the top of, the, of each of their backs. And the guy on the right, for some reason, was shooting at the one on the left, and the guy at the, on the left was shooting at the one on the right. So we get this like X vapor trail crossing oh, and and hitting right up above both both animals. And the whole herd goes running off. So we pick up the cameras, we run after the hunters. The hunters are going after them. Um, they go over down into this next coulee and then start cutting left for some reason. And they all, for whatever reason, they start coming back towards us, which is just the craziest thing. Like this whole herd starts coming right back down towards us. So they set up again, they realize what happened. They adjust their rifles for the, for the change in elevation, the distance. And when they stop again, perfect shot. But the cool thing was that once both elk end up going down, the ability to go from where the animals are, zoomed in 20X optical, you see the impacts, you see the animals go down. Now you're bringing it all the way back very quickly and you're getting the reaction of the hunters. That's something that is very difficult to teach, something that you really can't do when you're self-filming unless you've got cameras set up coming back onto you. But as an individual filming a hunt, you have to be able to capture, you have to know what you need to capture before you actually have to capture it. Right. So I knew in that instance, I needed to capture the animals going down but then I needed to get that emotional reaction from them. Mm -hmm. And it's just this, I mean, unreal primal emotion. They never shot elk before. This was the first elk for both of them. So you zoom out and they're like, you know, they're screaming, they're hollering, they're giving each other hugs, they're falling on the ground, just so excited at this, at this great moment. And to be able to capture all that, if you just had like that really long lens on, on a DSLR, you wouldn't be able to capture that and then capture that emotional response up close. That's where that having that professional level video camera that goes from 24 millimeter up close all the way out to 20X, which is about 600 millimeter, gives a huge advantage in, in those types of situations. Back to B-roll. The ability to capture those kinds of scenes, but then also to be able to capture the B-roll that helps fill in the other you know, mm -hmm. the other 18 minutes out of your 20 minute episode. So the other 18 minutes, you're, you need to figure out, you need to have a list of things that you want to capture. You need to capture time in, in the vehicle where you're talking, the, the pre-scouting, you know, they're, they're glassing. You, if they're going to be doing a back, uh, back country hunt, um, you know, packing up, uh, the hike in, you know, how much of that hike in do you capture? Um, you know, there's only so much footage you want to go through of the camera, you know, bouncing yeah. along behind somebody walk, you know, watching somebody's, you know, back walking up a, a mountainside. So how much of that do you capture? Um, so basically going into a hunt like that, knowing what you want to capture and what you want the end product to look like. Um, the other type of B-roll that you might get is uh, time lapses at night. Um, time lapses during the day. Down, take, it, take advantage of any downtime you have with setting up a camera and doing a time lapse. It's a great way to, to fill in fill some gaps and, and really creates a, an idea of the scene that you're hunting in. Mm -hmm. um, other B-roll is obviously, you know, if you've got a, a sponsored hunter, uh, you know, the various sponsor products, get as much video as you can, be it cell phone or, you know, high quality, uh, high quality camera footage. Um, any video that you can get with them behind the optics or using the calls or wearing the camo, um, all of that is really good stuff that you can use as B-roll and make their sponsors happy and make it so they're more willing to, to hire you and bring you back in next time because you just made their sponsors happy and their sponsors are the reason they can do what they're doing. Yep. So, so something that is very important to me, right? And it may not be to everyone, but it's very important to me is how we present these hunts. We're putting them on YouTube. So anybody anti-hunters, non-hunters, they can choose to open that up, right, and, and view that. 
a lot of, and it's getting better. It's been considerably better over the last few years. How we are presenting hunting, our demographic, our way of life to the world at this point, right? is hugely important and sharing the story and the struggle i think that's all part of it when you talk about that b-roll stuff i think it's in my head it's it's almost the priority at this point right oh yeah is sharing that in a manner that is is for the lack of a better word classy but it's not off-putting um to the to the non-hunter you know the anti-hunter we want to we want to kind of we're in a position where we have to kind of win some of those folks you know, through that, where do you, where do you set yourself in that realm? Right. And, and how important is that in presentation uh, instead of just showing the highlights? Cause that's a lot of what we see is like, you know, 20 minutes chasing, boom, dead. Woo. Well, the, the B roll is the why and the why is why we hunt. So if you're not capturing why we hunt, why we're out there with that, with that B roll, with that background roll, you're not getting you're not getting the hunt. You're not getting why we're doing what we're doing. We're not, we're not there just to, you know, shoot something. It's not like, Oh, cool. I've, I, I killed an animal and that's the end of the story. It's, you know, it's the camaraderie of a, of a hunting camp. It's, you know, enjoying a, a cooked meal over a, a campfire. It's, um, you know, backstraps, you know, cooked fresh on a, on a hot rock next mm-hmm. to the campfire. Um, you know, in, enjoying that food on the mountain. It's enjoying company. It's, it's bringing food home to your family. It's, um, it's the experience that you get. It's, it's a father and a son out there on a hunt, uh, you know, experiencing that time together that, that they don't really get to otherwise because their lives are too busy. Mm-hmm. Capturing that is what makes a hunt the why. So that, in, uh, except the backstrap, that, that is, you know, over the open fire. That's not B-roll to me. <laughs> that's, right. your, that's your trophy shot right that's, there. Yeah, that's it. I mean, literally it is, right? But that's all... That's all telling that story. That's funny, right? And I, and I, I guess I knew that, but but hearing it and thinking about it as we're talking about it, the B-roll is telling the story. Yeah, it really is telling the story as you're going through that. Um, so what's an average? What's an average length? I heard you say 20 minutes a, a few times. Is that is that what what guys and gals should be aiming for uh, for a solid hunt film is about that 20 minute mark or no no you don't have to the reason why i say 20 minutes is because you're typically looking at 20 to 22 minutes for a televised uh televised episode okay so you've got a 30 minute show you've got eight minutes of commercials you've got 20 to 22 minutes of uh of actual hunt okay so if, if someone's trying to elevate their game or you know get sponsors or really present that and maybe for future use on a bigger platform that that should be the goal is that time frame somewhere in there or is no that not necessarily a- i mean it, it, you've got you know let's say for example you've got the you know we'll just take hushin as an example because they've been so successful on youtube um you know any video that's going to resonate with your audience it doesn't matter if it's three minutes if it's a video that captures their attention and makes them want to watch it that three minute video is fantastic because it's going to get a million views and then that's going to make them want to watch the next video. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's if it's for filming a hunt and it's because you want to tell that story and that story takes eight minutes to tell or it takes 20 minutes to tell, if you can tell it well in eight minutes or you can tell it well in 20 minutes, which one do you like better? You're right. the you're the content creator. You're the one who's creating this, uh, experience. this, this experience for right. other people to view. I've, and that's a good way to, to present that, right? It's an experience. Um, you know, I enjoyed last year was, was the... Uh, the Phelps stuff um, with with uh, 
with Dirk, Jason, and uh, Lampers there. And I really like how they put that together. And they were lengthy, but it was worth the length because they 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 told the story of what it is to hunt elk. Um, and I really enjoyed just seeing all the, the, the struggle and the strife and the frustration. Um, the, I think the way that, and I don't watch a ton of YouTube, um, and maybe I should, but I really enjoyed that series that they put together last year with that hunt. It was, uh, it was really, I, in my head, it was really well done and how they captured it and, and just, just that experience. I was there and, and you started to feel the frustration, you yeah. know, and it was just like, oh, come on. <laughs> and it's interesting. I actually haven't watched those videos, but I've heard about them from other people. Mm -hmm. So they've, they've definitely resonated with their audience. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to when you're looking to capture this. What is, what is your why? Why are you trying to capture this? Is it because you want to relive the hunt yourself? Well, take everything that's relevant to you in that scenario. Mm -hmm. Are you looking to create something that you feel like other people are going to want to watch it? Those are two completely different scenarios. So if you're capturing it because you want other people to be able to experience your hunt, give them something that's worth experiencing. Um, if you just want to, if you just want to do it, you know, for your own reasons and, and watch it, you know, watch it at home. That's, that's great too, mm -hmm. but you don't have to go to all the lengths. The There's things you want to capture. Um, you know, you can still produce a, a full length video, um, that you, you enjoy, but that doesn't necessarily resonate with anybody else because you like it. So that's another, that's another aspect of it. If you're, if you're filming for somebody else, what's their reason for viewing the content? So if it's, if you're a professional and you're doing this because, you know, you've been hired to film a show, you need to get what they want you to get. And you're making sure that you're doing it in as high quality as you can and make sure that, you know, you hit that record button when you're supposed to be hitting the record button. <laughs> That's the worst. Oh, dude, that is the worst. I didn't hit record. Um, so let's talk post-production. I'm just playing. Um, that's, that's yeah, another 12 episodes. All right, my brother. <laughs> Post is something else. I, I think there's there's value in understanding a lot of that. Um, but, yeah, that that is a realm that uh, you, folks have to go in and just start exploring. And Without getting into post-production, uh, the one thing that I will really say is, get experience doing post-production before you film the hunt that you want to have video captured because the process of doing post-production tells you what you need to get on the front end to be successful on the back, back end. end. That's actually a good, another good pearl. My brother, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, check out Good Bull Outdoors on Instagram. Um, why don't you drop everything for him real quick? Yeah, you bet. So uh, if you go to Good Bull Outdoors on Instagram or Facebook, um, we do have a TikTok as well. But, uh, you know, we're we're kind of like everybody else in the hunting community on TikTok. It's kind of like, uh, you know, is this thing going to be real? You know, we've, we've already gotten the content violations and that sort of thing. So you go dance in Estes when you're filming bulls and put some music behind you. You might stay on there. We, yeah. Yeah. Just get a little bit of dancing and you know, maybe just, you know, maybe I'll wear a low cut V-neck. Something. And, yeah. Just, just give them something to, you know, bump that algorithm up a little bit bit but uh that one's good underscore bull underscore outdoors um and uh ali has been doing a great job running that one she's got us up over seventeen thousand followers on tiktok now so um I, I guess that's one other thing just to kind of mention about the good bull outdoors page is that you know what you see on our page is not necessarily just hunting there's a lot of uh wildlife photography wildlife videography on there and, and we did that very intentionally we are absolutely 100 percent a hunting account uh both ali and i are hunters but 
the reason that we chose to go this route is because we reach not just a hunting audience, mm -hmm. but also a non-hunting audience. It gives us a platform where we can reach out to people who are maybe on the fence, who, you know, might experience, you know, conservation through our lens that wouldn't otherwise see it that way. So when you talk about, you know, how hunters are being perceived in that community, Good Bull Outdoors is, has actually changed some people's minds yes, on it what it means to be a hunter yeah, in know, the non-hunting community. I don't know that folks realize how much service Good Bull has provided over the years in that realm. I mean, I've watched it and I've seen it and, and, and I've told you before, man, I appreciate what you guys do because of that. Uh, and then you guys also do social media management yeah. Um, for pages and whatnot what's uh, what's the deal with that and then how do folks if they're interested you know get uh get on the uh the good bull uh quick flight to the stars yeah we haven't i don't think we've talked about that since what your your third or fourth episode yeah. on western contours <laughs> i mean we gotta we gotta go back a little ways to get yeah. back to the social media management but yeah we've been managing other other companies social media accounts for a while now um, it basically, it's a, it, we run it just like we would run our own account. We set up hashtag strategies, tagging strategies. We help you with, uh, you know, getting, curating user-generated content for your page. Um, you know, we can help you with, with any uh, video editing. Um, believe it or not, Goodbull also does product photography as well. Um, so if you've got a new business and you're looking to get some of those white box photos that you can put up on a website, we do that. We do lifestyle images. Um, so we'll you know, set up your product in the field and get photos of it that, you know, you can use for your social media or for your website. Um, so anything from social media management, uh, you know, through product photography, uh, general marketing, um, you know, we do paid organic social. Um, typically what we do is we manage organic social for most, but we're starting to get into the paid side. Um, we're getting pretty good resonance on, on paid Facebook ads, um, even in the hunting community where you've got a lot of rules and regulations that you have to follow. Um, so yeah, pretty much anything in the marketing realm for the outdoor world, we're, we're getting pretty heavy into it. Sweet, brother. All right. Check them out. Good Bull Outdoors. Thanks, bro. Thank you.